You are listening to an audio sermon of First Baptist Church of Arlington, Washington. Our mission is to know Jesus and make Him known. Thank you for joining us. Here is today's message. I'm going to have you open in your Bibles to Ephesians 1. I have been living in this text and uh, asking God to uh, speak to my heart work it down into my heart and do that for you as well and uh, it's my prayer that uh, this will change your my life no matter where you are in your walk with the Lord that this will change your life not what I have to say but what the scripture has to say you probably heard sometime in your Christian journey that prayer to your Christian life is like what breathing is to your physical life no in other words you're praying to God as your spiritual breathing and I think that's true and uh that every genuinely saved person, and I just went out, okay, we're back on again, to his or Christian life, we might have to pray about that. <laughs> but for many of us, uh, cultivating a really worthwhile prayer life uh, is a real challenge, isn't it? And, and for some, I think it even goes by the wayside. Uh, we just can't quite figure this out. We have so many unanswered questions about prayer, and we're not even sure how one does pray effectively. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning, praying effectively. For example, we get many prayer requests here in this church, and that's good. You know, we have people that are, you know, they go through sickness or they go through some kind of a hard time, and we're asked to pray for them, and it's important that we do that. We uh, pray when people get in accidents, for example. Uh, we pray they'll get quickly well. We pray for doctors and nurses who treat them, and, and we're thankful for the day and age that we're living in and for what's available to people. So that, that's an important part of it. I know we ask God to bless different folks. I know I do, and I'm sure you do as well. You pray that God will bless your family, your husband, your wife, your children, even people here in the church, and we pray and ask God to even save certain people. And of course, uh, we're, we're, it's important that we do it. That's, that's all well and good, but is that what our prayer life is to look like? We pray for these things, but is it what it's to look like? Then, folks, there's what I call that internal struggle and conflict that goes on in our minds about God's being all-knowing and sovereign. And uh, we think about that and say, why am I praying about this anyway? I mean, you're God. You know what you're going to do and uh, what your purpose is, so why am I even dealing with this? I can't seem to twist your arm behind your back and force you to say, okay, I give, I'll do what you want. Uh, you fulfill your plans. And so how many times have I brought this before your throne of grace, and yet it's like, you don't hear. I mean, I know you're God, I know you do care, but it's like you don't hear. We find ourselves kind of living like the old patriarch Job, where God allowed these things, these terribly hard things to come into his life, and then he chose not to answer him. And you're at a quandary. You're thinking, Lord, what? how do I pray effectively when I'm in this type of situation? This morning I'm going to attempt to resolve all your... I'm not... I'm, take it back. That was a faux pas. I'm not. N-O-T. I'm, I'm not going to attempt to resolve all your struggles when it comes to gaining a proper biblical grasp on prayer. But I do desire to zero in on one aspect of your or my prayer life. And listen, and it will radically change you and change me and change others we pray for. That's why this is 
so important to me this morning. Not because I pray, but because I say, or that I say will change you or others, but because God himself is the one who stands behind doing that. Because of that, I've entitled this morning's message, as you can see in your outline there, God desires you to pray effectively. Isn't that good? He's the one who really desires you and me to pray effectively. Not just pray, but pray effectively. And we're going to dig around a little bit in the first chapter of the book of Ephesians. And as you know, Pastor Hans has been dealing with prayer out of the book of Philippians. And uh, the Apostle Paul was under house arrest there in Rome. And he wrote these letters of uh, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians at about the same time when he was there. So you can see some similarities in what Pastor Hans has been bringing out, what I'll be bringing out this morning as well. So turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1 and follow along as I read the Apostle Paul's prayer that's found for us, preserved for us in verses 15 through 23. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. God desires for you and me to pray effectively. Notice Paul's words in verse 15. For this reason, don't miss that, for this reason. Those words introduce us to our first major point and direct our attention back to what Paul wrote in verses 1 through 14. And that major point is this, and it's so important we capture that, the thought behind it. Your foundation that makes effective praying possible is found in those first 15 verses. So you can't ignore that. Your foundation, there's a foundation why you and I can pray effectively, and it's found in those first 15 verses. And under that, you are already, and you need to get a hold of this, and this is what Paul is praying, you are already the recipient of all God's spiritual blessings. Already. You are already the recipient of all God's spiritual blessings. Paul's words for this reason are rooted in the first 14 verses of chapter 1. And by the way, in the Greek, verses 3 through 14 is just one long, very long sentence. (laughs) And this one long sentence declares your foundation that makes your praying effectively possible. But how often Christians are ignorant or we don't act on this God-ordained foundation that makes our praying effective. Look at verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here it is. Don't miss it. 
You've heard it many times before, but now let it sink into your my heart. Who has already, by the way, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ? You know, there's so much we know factually. You've been in church and you read your Bible and you know, but let this, God says, Paul says, I'm praying this will get a hold of you. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. What does God tell you and me about all these spiritual blessings that he's already given to us in Christ? He tells you and me who are saved and caused, that he's caused to be born into his family. He says, I chose you. I chose you even before I created or laid the foundation of the world. That's staggering. He says, let that grab you. I, I, I chose you. He says, I made you holy and blameless, making you mine. I chose you. I made you mine. I determined beforehand your adoption, making you not just part of my family. You are my son, and therefore you are my heir. That's verse 5. He goes on, he says, I freely bestowed my grace upon you. Of course, this really is a book about grace when you get the book of Ephesians. You know, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. I redeemed you through my son's blood. I mean, the price he paid that, he said, I did that to redeem you, to buy you, to make you my own. I completely have forgiven you all your trespasses. I think this is incredible to think that you and I, who are saved and in Christ, have been forgiven of absolutely all of our sins. Do you understand that when you stand before the Lord, it's not to judge you? No, you're his son, his daughter. It is to reward you, and not one of our sins will even come up. How staggering is that? And that's throughout your Bible. He says, oh, that this would just get a hold of my people. He goes on, he says, I love it, he says, I have not just given you my grace, I have lavished, this is God, eternally existent, pre-existent God who created the universe. He says, I have lavished upon you the riches of my grace in verse 8. And then he goes on, he says, I have given you an inheritance way back before I created this earth, and you will enter into the fullness of that inheritance even after the earth is no more. That's verses 9 through 12. You were and have always been a most special and vital part of my eternal plan. Boy, let that get a hold of you when you think of praying effectively. That's the foundation, folks. We didn't have time, of course, to spend, we'd spend a year or two just on chapter 1 alone, that first 14 verses. And then he says, since I chose you, I also called you by my Holy Spirit, who now indwells you and has sealed you as my pledge. It's a guarantee of your inheritance, having made you my own possession, verses 13 and 14. Here God tells you and me, I want you to really get a hold of this great truth. I have already blessed you with every spiritual blessing in my son. They're already yours. (laughs) They're already yours. Yet because we really do not know what God has already clearly stated in the scripture and has already given to us, we keep on pleading and begging that he would provide us with different things and for others as well. And God says, don't you get it? I've already given it to you. Just claim it. For example, uh, by the way, Warren Wiersbe tells this interesting story. Tells about uh, William Randolph Hearst, a great uh, newspaper publisher in San Francisco years ago. 
And he got really wrapped up in art. And if you've been down Highway 1 there in the, in the uh, San Clemente area, I believe it is, uh, on the coast, uh, you probably have seen all that stuff there. And I, I, Mary and I had the opportunity to go up and visit one aspect of that uh, estate of his there. But he really got involved in art. And, and he, whatever it was, if it had incredible value, that man had to find it and it had to be his. And one day he was busy reading about this uh, piece of art and it just grabbed him. He said, man, I have got to have that. I have got to have that. And so he sent his man out. He said, you go find that. He didn't know where it was. And this guy went all over the world trying to find that piece of art, that valuable piece, that treasure. And uh, finally came and said, doctor, he said, Mr. Roos, Hearst, I'll get it right yet. Mr. Hearst, I found it. I finally found that piece of art. He said, did, where? Where was it? He said, it's in one of your warehouses. It's been there for years. We laugh at that, and it's funny. But that's what God is saying to you and me here. You're praying for stuff I've already given you. Just claim it. Just live there. For example, we say, oh God, I need peace. Oh man, I need peace. And rightly we do. In John 16, 33, Jesus says to you and me, these things I've spoken to you, so that in me, now notice it's in Him, but it's what He's already said, so you get in the Scriptures and you meet the Lord on the page of the Scripture. In me, He says, you may have, that you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. Amen to that. Amen to that. But take courage, I have overcome the world. Colossians 3.15, let the peace of God, what? Rule in your hearts. I've already given it to you, he said. You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. But God, I need strength. You just don't know this struggle through this life. I need strength. Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through him who what? Strengthens me. <laughs> Ephesians 3, 20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we could ever ask or think according to the power that works within us. But God, help me to love more. That person is so unlovely. Help me to love that person. Galatians 5, 22, the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. What about Romans 5, 5? The love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. But God, I need comfort today. Oh, I'm so down. I need comfort. And what does he say? 2 Corinthians 1, 3-5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort God of all comfort who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God it's all there matter of claiming it getting back into the word meeting the Lord on the page of scripture and praying that through effectively and just finding that God says I've already given it to you think about that declaration and promise God has given to each one of his redeemed children he already has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ he's already done it <laughs> already declared it are you right now in Christ that's a valid question you have to be in Christ is Christ in you? If you're genuinely saved, God has already blessed you with that every spiritual blessing. And that is foundational. I, I have to emphasize, that is foundational to your praying effectively. You've got to get a hold of that. You are already a recipient of all God's spiritual blessings. But Paul states a second most important reason that is foundational that makes your effective praying possible. And that is, he says, God indeed has already provided all these spiritual blessings, but he has done so for only certain people. Oh, done so only for certain people. Your faith and love proves you are one of those special people. 
That's what he says there in verse 15. For this reason I too, having heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints. So you're one of those special people if you have that faith. What do we mean by that? We're talking about saving faith. You put your faith in Jesus Christ. Well, how did that come about? He tells you back up in verses 13 and 14. This is how it came about, verse 13 and 14. In him, that's Jesus Christ, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, that is the good news of your salvation, having also believed, that's that faith, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. He said, that's how you got that faith. You heard the gospel. You said, I need to be saved. You asked Jesus to come into your heart. And, and, and you, for the, you who I know, that's happened to you. It's happened to me. And that's that faith. But not just faith. You also have love. You have love. John, 1 John 3, 14, 15 says, We know that we have passed out of death into life. How do we know that? How do I know I passed out of death into life? That I have eternal life? Because we love the brethren. He, he's very black and white. He who does not love abides in death. That person isn't even saved. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And so, by the way, the Bible describes this kind of love as self-sacrificing love, sacrificial love. Listen, unsaved folk don't have the Holy Spirit's love for saved folk, do they? They don't, they don't know what that means. They don't love God. If anything, he's an intrusion into their life. They don't love his word. They don't love his righteous standards. They don't love coming and fellowshipping with his redeemed ones, those he calls his saints. But your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that caused you to declare him to be your Lord causes you to have love for one another. And you can go all over the world and find another brother and sister and you just, you know, there's just something to bond together. That's what God does here, what he's talking about here. And that foundation makes effective praying possible for you and me. And God has already blessed you with every spiritual blessing in His Son. Therefore, God desires for you to pray effectively. And that brings us now to the second major point I don't want you to miss. We had to deal with the foundation, but the second major point. Your prayer. What is your prayer? What should your prayer be? What should my prayer be? That God will enlighten my heart. That's what we ought to pray. That's what Paul prayed that God will enlighten my heart. Let me read verses 15 through 18, the first part there. For this reason, I, the reason that takes you to the foundation, verses uh, 1 through 14 and 15 as well, the first part there. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the, of the Lord Jesus Christ, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. What does he pray? that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Let's stop right there. That's what he prays. Your prayer, my prayer, that God will enlighten your heart, my heart. Your and my great need is not a lack of blessings. We've already seen we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Listen, it's a lack of insight and wisdom to understand and use all those God-given blessings properly and faithfully. Paul has just communicated, listen, you can see that mind-staggering 
life-changing truths to these Ephesian believers in verses 3 through 14. I mean, it's incredible. God's electing or choosing them to be his own. His predestining them and adopting them. Redeeming them and forgiving them of all their sins. Giving them wisdom and insight of where this world is going and what comes after it's gone out of existence. He praises God for their inheritance and their sealing with the Holy Spirit and on and on he goes there. Now though, he prays for God to enlighten them about these incredibly great truths. I submit to you that you and I need to get a hold of this and begin to earnestly pray this prayer for ourselves as well as for one another. Husbands, you need to pray it for your wives. Wives, you need to pray it for your husbands. Parents, you need to start praying this prayer for your children, no matter where they are right now. Pastors and elders need to pray it for each member of the flock. It's so important that God put it in the Bible. And it's not just saying, Lord, bless them. He's already blessed us with every spiritual blessing. It's getting right down with God into praying the right way effectively for one another and for ourselves as well. My. He prays that God will enlighten them about these incredibly great truths. And that's what we need to do for one another. Oh God, enlighten my heart. Paul writes, I make mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Why does the great apostle Paul specifically pray this prayer for these Ephesian believers? Why does he do that? First, we know that from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, that there are, listen to this, listen to this now, there are things which eye has not seen, and ear has not heard, and which have not even entered into the heart of man, all, get that, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us, God revealed them through his spirit. Don't miss that last part. God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. How did He do that? Well, we know it's in the written Word. And now He wants to impart that to open your eyes to what God has done, is doing, and will do for His glory and for your blessing. That's what we're going to see. But listen, so many Christians find themselves in that same boat that the Corinthian believers found themselves in because the very next chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul starts out as this. He says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now, you are not Abel. You know, that, that character, that captures a lot of Christians' prayer lives that have been saved for years. That's basically where they are. And it is estimated, by the way, these folks have been saved for at least three years. So, how long have I been saved? How long have you been saved? And where are you in effectively praying and growing in the Lord? And what the Apostle Paul prays for these Ephesian believers is not just that they would be able to receive great Bible teaching that we would call Bible doctrine, by the way. No, no, but he prays God would give them a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Now what's that? Obviously that's not the wisdom of the world. 
It's that wisdom we just read there in 1 Corinthians 2. Things which eye has not seen, ear has not heard, and which have not entered the very heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love Him. It's the wisdom found in the first chapter of Ephesians, verses 1-14, through 14, dear ones. That's the wisdom He wants to open our eyes to. And what about Paul's prayer that we would be given a spirit of revelation in the knowledge of Him? That is, the Lord Jesus Christ. I really think that can be best explained by Paul's own testimony over in Philippians 3. What did he cry out? That I may know him. That was his life. Man, if he was walking on the road, going somewhere to witness and, and, and establish a church, get people saved, if he was in the Old Testament, his cry was always, Oh, Lord Jesus Christ, that I may know you. That I may know you. That I may know him. And that what is it? The power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Oh, that I may know him. Would that God would help us to get to that place in our walk as we open up the scriptures or we come to church or whatever we're doing. Oh God, that I may know your son. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. You remember those two fellows walking on that Emmaus road that day that Jesus was raised from the dead, but they didn't know that. I love it because what happened? He comes along right with them. He's walking with them. Of course, their eyes are blind. You know, I has not seen, ears not heard, and so he's walking with them. And I, I love what he, he reproves them. That's kind of what God's doing in my heart, and I hope is yours as well, in, in, in a most effective way. He reproves them. And, and, and he says to them, he says here, uh, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. And then, what do you do next? And then he began to unfold the scriptures to them. That's what we're talking about. Not just reading it, not just studying it, but he began to unfold the scriptures to them. When suddenly the Lord did open their eyes, they said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? That's what God the Holy Spirit wants to do for me and for you. That's what Paul wants for us. That's what he is praying. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, will do for you, for me. I read the story about a young man who was come, had come to Saving Faith and he started attending this church and he was really growing in the Lord. And there was a young lady that was raised up in that church and they fell in love and they got married. And things went along pretty good for a while there. They're going to church and they're involved with ministry and all that. And then suddenly, which it can happen and it often does happen, his love for the Lord just grew cold. Next thing you knew, he had no interest in opening his Bible at all. She kept right on reading hers, but he was not interested in his Bible reading. And the next thing he said, you go to church, I'm not interested in going to church. And so she went on her own. And then he really didn't want to be around those Christian people. They probably convicted him, who knows. But he really wasn't interested in being around them. And you know, she did a very wise thing. She said, you know, I'm, I'm not going to nag him. I'm not going to push him. I'm just going to start faithfully praying for him. And she had a friend, and they agreed, they, bond, they, they bound themselves together, that they would try to be faithful to pray every single day that God would begin to work in his life. For about two months they prayed, and nothing happened, just same old, same old as always was. Then one day she comes home, and lo and behold, he's sitting reading the Bible. She said nothing. She didn't bring it up, and he didn't bring it up. And... Uh, one Sunday morning, she got ready to go to church, and, and uh, he said, you know, I'm going to go to church with you. And so 
They both went to church. Again, she said nothing. She didn't uh, <laughs> drive her point home. She just was rejoicing inside that God was answering her prayer with regard to this. And uh, by the way, they, they, the two ladies practiced what uh, uh, Jesus said. He said, uh, pray and, uh, how's it, ought always to pray and not lose heart. And uh, again, she was happy that things were happening. And finally, he said to her, you know, dear, I've really been way out of it. Somehow or other, I lost all my interest in the Lord, but God has moved and met me and brought me back. That's powerful praying, isn't it? That's what Paul's talking about here. Dear ones, that's the power of praying this prayer that the Apostle Paul faithfully prayed for these Ephesian believers, and God had him record it for you and me as well, and I'm glad it's here. I really mean that. As he's trying to, I believe, work it down in my life, and I hope yours as well. Listen, your foundation makes effective praying possible. You are already the recipient of all God's spiritual blessings. You already possess saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You love the body of Christ. You love other believers and so forth. He's, the Holy Spirit's poured His love out in your heart. And because of that, you love the brethren. Now, now may God open your eyes. May He open my eyes. May He enlighten our hearts that we may see Jesus. That I may know Him. Not about Him only. You've got to have that. But know Him. We come now to the third major part of this morning's outline. I love it. God's great desire to answer your prayer. Isn't that good? Not only you and me praying effectively, but God's great desire to answer this prayer. As He did for that young lady and her a fellow lady that joined her in praying there. And that's found in verses 18, the latter part through 23. I don't want you to miss all this vital connection to our second major point we just looked at, and that's your prayer that God will enlighten your heart. Oh God, that I may know Him, and oh God, open the eyes of my heart. What we're about to look at, though, in this final major point, God's great desire to answer your prayer, my prayer, now addresses the three areas where God wants to do exactly that. It's profound. This is what he wants to do. There's three major areas. God will move in your heart and truly make it the wisdom and the revelation in the knowledge of him. That is, the wisdom and knowledge of the indwelling Lord Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul now introduces you to three realms where God desires to answer that prayer. First, I love it. I love it. Don't miss it. He will overwhelm you with the hope of His calling. That's what's going to happen. God says, I want to overwhelm you, you, with the hope of your calling. Verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of His calling. Evidently, we don't know it. We know about it. Or He wouldn't pray this. And all those things that he wrote about the hope of his calling there in verse, verse 14 verses. Just as the Lord Jesus explained the scriptures and then opened the eyes of those two disciples' eyes and hearts, may he now do the same for you and me. May God overwhelm me, may he overwhelm you with the hope of your and my calling. Paul is driving us back into what he wrote in the first part of the chapter. Look at verse 4. Look at verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. What? He chose me before the world even existed, or I even existed. Now go to the middle of verse 8 and down to verse 12. Verse 8 says, 
In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, that is, in his Son, with a view to the administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him also we have obtained our inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. He said, look, before I even created the world, I chose you. When this world is finally no more, you're going to begin to experience the fullness of the inheritance that I have planned for you. Oh, that you would know the hope of his calling. Amazing. Look at chapter 2, verse 12. Huh. Just driving this point home. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Can you go back that far in your life? Can you go back where you had no hope because you were without God in the world? You know, I, I want to take this all the way back to when God chose Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then, of course, through them, he made that great nation of Israel. And he what? He chose that nation. I'm going to reveal myself to you. You're going to meet the one true living God. What about all the other nations? They never met him. You had generation after generation. You had family after family, born, died, born, died, born, died, and went to hell. But God chose them. And now, several thousand years later, the Lord Jesus Christ, as you know, came, and now he has chosen you, and you need to grab a hold of the hope of his calling you. That's what he's talking about. The hope of his calling. In Ephesians 4, 4, he says, There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. There's so much concerning this hope of the calling that God wants you to, wants to answer and reveal to your heart question is, will I let him? Will you let him? Will you pray as Paul prays that God will do that for you? As you open your Bible and you read it, will you pray along with the Apostle Paul this prayer, God desires to overwhelm you with the hope of his calling. Dear one, that's you. That's me. He desires to answer that prayer. Listen to what the Apostle Peter writes about that hope. Your hope. 1 Peter 1, 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Think of that. Born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Here's what God wants to do for you and me with this regard to this first realm and answering that prayer. Listen to Romans 15, 13. Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope Fill you with all joy and peace in believing. He's the God of hope. Not only that, so that you, listen, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Profound. Is that happening? If not, pray. Pray effectively. And let God do that in your life. May he cause you to abound in hope by the power of the Spirit. May God overwhelm you and me with the hope of his calling. But secondly, God's great desire to answer your prayer. Secondly, he will reveal to you your inheritance, the riches of his glory. 
He will reveal to you your inheritance, the riches of his glory. In verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened uh, so that you will know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Now there's two possible ways of understanding that statement. One is that you are God's inheritance, and I like that view. That means God said, you're so special, you're now my inheritance, and, and you're, you're partner with me, and I want to do incredibly great things through you, and in your prayer life as well. Think about that, if you'll just let me. And it's God who partners up with you. And that's one way of looking at it. But second is that God has given you an inheritance, and both are true, by the way. Again, Paul wants us to get a hold of what he has already declared to be true. Go back to verse 5. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. Look at verses 11 and 12 again. Also, we have obtained an inheritance. There's that word. We've obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to his purpose who works all things after the counsel of his will to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. He says, I've given you an inheritance. I want you to know about this inheritance. Years ago, I read a book that really made an impact in my life, and I've never gotten away with it. Really, I mean, it just affected me. It keeps right on affecting me. The book was entitled The Reign of the Servant Kings. And in that book, he, he opened my eyes. God used that man to open my eyes as he got us into Romans chapter 8. We'll not go there, but he got me into that chapter there. And all that, the truth of that would get, grab a hold of your heart as well. God did not, listen, this is a sad thing. God did not save you just to get you to heaven. But that's where so many believers are. And that's a wonderful thing. I'm glad I'm saved and not going to hell. And by the way, you come next week and you'll know why. Because I'm going to be speaking on the most difficult, hardest portion of Scripture in all the Bible. I'm glad that he saved me, but he did not save Bill Walker just to get Bill Walker into heaven. He says, Bill, I saved you to make you my son's bride. Think about that staggering. I saved you that you would reign with him as one of his heirs. Get a hold of that. That's what he's trying to drive home here as we pray about this. This prayer. And pray effectively. Wow. His son. His son's bride, that is. What an inheritance. That's what Paul prays God will open your and my eyes and heart to. When that great truth hits you, you will live differently. And you will also pray differently as well. That's why we need to pray this prayer for one another. Again, listen to Peter. 1 Peter 1, verses 3-5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, listen here, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, ha, reserved in heaven for you. Oh, that he would burn that into our hearts. Why waste our time down here when you can live for his glory and pray in such power? Reserved in heaven, won't fade away. Who are protected by the power of God through the faith or through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. God's great desire is to reveal to you your inheritance, that is the riches, the riches of his glory. And finally, his desire to answer his prayer, and I love it, this is how he wraps it all up and captures all of it. He will impart to you his surpassing great power. 
And no wonder Paul drives this home, calling it surpassing great power. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be opened so that you will know, and verses 19 through 22, I'll read that, all that, what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. Now think about it, he's talking about incredible power here. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right, his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, so there's no power that can, that can circumvent this power, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, that's you and me, which is his body, the fullness of him who feels all in all. Listen, I can't even unpack all this there. We'd have to spend uh, hours upon hours just unpacking all that. But you can't miss what God is saying here. He desires to answer your prayer and he has all the power to do just that. Did you get that? In verse 19, Paul stacks superlatives on top of superlatives. He uses four different Greek words to drive home the point that God offers you his surpassing greatness of his power. Not only will that power get you safely home to heaven, that power is fully able. Listen, that power is fully able to change your life and the life of the person you're called upon to pray for. Amen. We need to get that. Not only your life, but the lives of those you will pray this prayer for. Listen, I know dads and moms who are greatly burdened for their children who are no longer walking with the Lord. Do you think God has the power to change their lives? That's right. There are children, adult children, who are bound and enslaved to drugs. God says, I've got the power to change that. I want people, my people, to pray effectively. Spend time with me. Meet the Lord Jesus Christ who changes lives on the pages of Scripture as they pray to me. There are those who are running with the wrong crowd and find themselves enslaved and unable to get free. And they, they are, they're enslaved, unable to get free. And they need you to start praying Ephesians Chapter 1, verses 15 through 23 for them. And don't stop praying this prayer for them, just like that couple, that lady and her friend kept on praying. God's great desire is to answer your prayer, and He will impart to you, and He will impart to me His surpassing great power. It's no wonder, it's no wonder that Satan and his minion of demons work overtime to keep God's people from praying effectively. They're scared to death of this. Oh, they, they've lost you for time. Or, I'm sorry, for eternity, but maybe not necessarily for time. Boy, uh, I think of how Paul prayed. He prayed so differently than you and I normally pray. And that's why I'm trying, I think he's trying to drive me into this scripture and have me drive you into the scripture as well. I love, listen, I love how Ray Stedman, Stedman unpacks these verses. I said there's way more than we can get to, but I love, listen to what he says about God desire to impart his, to you and me his surpassing great power. Listen to his words. He says, it's resurrection power. That means that it's different. It's not like any other power. It's is a power that raised Christ from the dead that is able to bring life out of death. What does that mean in practical terms? Listen, what does that mean in practical terms? I love it. Well, it means, as I've often said, that it works best in a cemetery. How about that? Think about that. It works best in a cemetery. If you're living in a cemetery, if everything is dead and dull and lifeless around you, try resurrection power. That is what it's for. 
it means that this power takes no notice at all of obstacles. Boy, he goes on, just as Jesus rose from the dead, paying no attention to a stone or the stone, to the decrees of Caesar, to the fulminations of the Jewish priest, nor to the guard in front of the tomb, resurrection power doesn't pay any attention to obstacles. It surges on ahead, leads the problems to God, and goes on, end of quote. That's powerful. That's what God wants us to see in verses 19 through 23. So much more there, but that's resurrection power. <laughs> Works best in the cemetery. That's the power that God offers to you and me this morning. I have two brothers-in-laws that they're so far out, and God reminded me, and I think of some other people as well. He says, you think I, you're seeing what they're like outside of me. What are they going to be like when I bring them into the fold to save them? Why should I not keep on praying? And Mary, keep on praying for brothers-in-laws. And you know as well, you have people perhaps in your family that you're concerned about, and you keep right on praying. And this is the type of praying, praying effectively, you see here in Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. The Apostle Paul will say it again in chapter 3, verse 20, where he prays a second time for these people, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. Oh, that God would open our eyes to that. That's what he desires to do, dear ones. That you and I would just be consumed with, as he opens, takes the blindness away, and we see the hope of his calling, and we see the, our inheritance and the riches of his glory and the surpassing greatness of his power and what does he say there in verse 15? He says, or, or uh, verse uh, 17, that the God, let me go back to verse 15, for this reason I too, having heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of it. He's just going to open your eyes and heart to the Lord Jesus Christ there on the pages of Scripture. And you're going to commune with him, and I'm going to commune with him. And then he's going to guide us into our prayer, praying for these people. And he has the power to change your life as well as my life. The question is, will we let him? Will we live there? That's what he wants. He didn't save you just to get you or me to heaven. He is conforming us more and more to be to the image of his son because we're his bride, and we are heirs who are going to reign with him when this world is no more, when this universe is no more. And we'll talk a little bit about that, Lord willing, next week. So I say to you, God desires for you to pray effectively. May God enlighten your heart, because God does desire to answer your prayers. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, there's so much more in here, and I know that you're the one Holy Spirit who pinned these words or had Paul pen them as you guided each word that he wrote down. But now I would pray that it would have its effect in my heart, my life, just as those two were walking on that Emmaus road and you had to reprove them, but then you opened up the scriptures and then you opened up their eyes. Were not our hearts burning when he was opening up the scriptures? Oh, Father, I pray that that will be what will happen to each one of us here. There is no reason for us to be in defeat. There's no reason for us to give up about praying for these people that Satan thinks that he has bound forever in his kingdom. I pray, Holy Spirit of God, that I take nothing out of context here, 
But I do believe, oh, Heavenly Father, that you desire to answer these prayers or you wouldn't have had Paul write them down. Now I pray that you would just open up our heart and mind and we would begin to pray effectively and we would see that cemetery power, resurrection power that you have to offer. In Jesus, your name we pray. Amen.